0: So, does your career energize you with life? Or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers, where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. Hello, everyone. This week I have a fantastic conversation with Brittany Wagner, an athletic academic advisor at East Mississippi Community College, and also one of the breakout stars of the Netflix docu-series Last Chance You. Lovely. Well, again, thank you, Brittany, for taking the time to share your journey. Really, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. So question number one for you. Do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what it is I'm meant to be doing here on this planet?
1: Um, all the time, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and I think I was just a normal, I have, I have gotten a lot of emails from college students saying like, how did you know that this was your calling or how did you get into this? And, you know, I don't think that I, that I did know. I mean, I think I was a typical college student who was an undecided major and really didn't know what my calling was or what I was supposed to be doing. Let alone, I mean, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I was supposed to be doing. Right. And um, I, I just happened to ch- choose a, a major that halfway sounded interesting to me and honestly had the least amount of math affiliated <laughs> right. with it. Right. And next thing I knew, I was in I was majoring in sports communication. And then I needed my graduate degree paid for. And so I got a graduate assistantship in the athletic academic office. And I knew that it interested me. I knew that it was something that I, for the first time in my life, something that I really wanted to do and learn more about. I don't think that I understood that it truly was what I was born to do, like, you know, and, and that I was really passionate about it. I didn't realize that until probably very recently. I would say years ago, you know, maybe four years ago or so was when I really realized like, okay, this is you know, what I'm meant to be doing.
0: Yeah. And so when you think about this idea now of what it is you're meant to be doing, how do you explain it to yourself?
1: Gosh, I don't. you know, I don't know that I, yes, I I work with college athletes and that has been my avenue for making a difference in people's lives. But I think my true calling is just making a difference in people's lives. yeah I mean that is what fills me up at the end of the day and end of the day knowing that I had a positive impact on somebody or made somebody maybe think about something differently than they normally would think about it. Um, you know and, and I think that's how I explain it to myself is yeah. that I learned that from my parents, from my father in particularly to you know be compassionate and understanding and tolerant of other people and so i kind of explain it to myself in that way that that's what i've learned and grown and and kind of learned how to do is to listen and be understanding and tolerant of people and that has segued into you know this passion and this career that i have
0: can you tell me what it is that you do today
1: yeah yeah today i am still at east mississippi community college and I am the academic counselor here um, for all the athletes. Um, People that saw Last Chance you think that I just work with football, but we have 200 athletes on this campus, so I advise them academically on what classes to take, um, classes towards their major. I'll sometimes talk about what to major in, what to lean towards. These are freshmen and sophomores, so a lot of them aren't, they're not ready yet to really dive into a major, um. Also, do a lot of tutoring, um, life coaching. Yep. Um. Just you know, behavioral issues, social skills. Um, I deal with a lot of um, low socioeconomic students. So sometimes the pr- college preparation is lacking. Um, sometimes social skill preparation is lacking. So just kind of filling in the blanks, so to yep. speak, of of their life to this point.
0: Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not. Yep. Um, you know, when I was younger, again, I don't think that this, like really young, I mean, you know, this didn't, career never, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. Um, but I really, when I came to East Mississippi Community College, I thought I would be here for a couple years. You know, I, I mean, I had this, at that time in my life, I was, probably still tied to a title and a, and a school, you know, a big name school and the titles still appealed to me and all of that. And so I thought I'll be there for a couple of years and then I'm going to go, you know, to some big school, some big program and, um, make a difference there. And eight years later, you know, I'm still here and, I honestly believe I've, – I've, I have worked at Mississippi State, which is an SEC football program. So, you know, that's kind of, in my opinion, the highest level of football that you can get at. And right. I did work there. And I, and I did – I do think that I impacted fo- college football players' lives and athletes' lives. But I really feel like there is more of the opportunity to impact players' lives at this level. Yep. Um, because there is – they need you. You know, they there is a need. They need you – um, to help them navigate through what has set them back. And at, at the SEC level or at the big time, you know, what people would label as the big time college athletic level, a lot of times those players, they haven't been set back
0: yet. Yep. You know,
1: and They don't feel like they need anyone around them. And so th- there's less of an opportunity, um, I think, to impact their lives.
0: Can you tell me what was the first idea you had of what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: I I don't remember this, but my my parents used to say that when I was really little, people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I would say that I wanted to be a cashier at the grocery store uh-huh. <laughs> because I think I wanted you know the idea. I'm a very I'm very organized and OCD, so like the idea I think of scanning something and then putting it in the bucket, you know, I think that appealed to me. I do have a memory though of wanting to be an attorney. Yep. Um, and I'm you know I'm very headstrong and and opinionated and I think that's kind of where I thought I wanted to be an attorney. And I remember my mom will kill me for saying this, but I remember my mom kind of telling me that I should rethink that um, because of the amount of schooling attorneys have to have. And, and I honestly, I think that she thought I wasn't smart enough, you know, to pass law school and to make it through law school. And, And she didn't say that directly, but looking back now, I think, you know, she didn't believe that I could make it through law school. And honestly, I think her saying that to me deterred that dream of mine. Yeah. Um, and so I'm very careful what I say to young people about what they can achieve in their life, because I think any hint of you can't do that, you know, it sticks with people. Um, right. and, I, and I do. I think that it did change my um, career path.
0: At what age was that when she said that to you?
1: that was going into college. I mean, I was, I was really trying to figure out, you know, where I was going to go to college and what I was going to major in and what I was going to do with my life. And I remember her kind of being very concerned about me thinking that I was going to law school and, right. and you know, really trying to talk me out of it, which she did.
0: Can you tell me what is it that your parents uh, do or did?
1: Yeah, my dad is as um, a psychologist, uh-huh. which is very fitting for what I do. Right. Um, I think I've gained a lot of knowledge from him, but he has a PhD in psychology. He also um, worked at a college for over 30 years. He was the head of the counseling center um, at a college here in Mississippi, also taught psychology classes, and then he had a private practice on the side. My mom, actually also very fitting for what I do, um, was a special ed teacher and a special ed director of a school district here in Mississippi. She was an administrator, you know, in that school district over the special ed department. And I think she also watching her work with those students and and, um, me having access to people that were different from me at a very young age. I I think really helped um, fuel my tolerance and, you know, just understanding of that everybody's not the same. Yeah, People do have real disabilities and real setbacks in their life. I think that came um, from watching my mom work with children that had severe disabilities.
0: So you mentioned, I guess, a couple examples now of your parents impacting your career decisions and decision making process are there any other things that you would say that how how they impacted you or uh, along the way either explicitly or implicitly
1: oh yeah I mean I think I think my my mom and dad both probably have impacted my life more than anyone else um you know they one thing that they always were very careful of is they never forced their opinion on me You know, it wasn't one of those things. Well, well, we go to church, so you're going, whether or not you want to or not. Right. I mean, I can remember being in high school, and I mean, when I could drive, it was up to me. If I wanted to go to church, fine. If I felt that it was important to go to church, you know, then then I would go. If I didn't, then I wasn't forced to go. Um, nothing was ever forced on my sister and I. It was always, you know, forming our own opinion, and and my dad would always question if I would come home and make a statement about somebody or something, you know, my dad would always kind of throw a question out there like, well, have you ever thought about this? Or, you know, if I was making fun of someone or being ugly about someone in a situation, you know, my dad may say, well, but have you ever thought about what they might be going through? Or have you ever thought about what their morning may have been like versus what your morning was like? And he always kind of was the devil's advocate in in making me think about that everyone is not like me. You know, everyone is not as fortunate as me or was not raised in the situation that I was raised in. And he he always made me very aware of other people.
0: What about, uh, you said you have uh, one sibling?
1: I do. I have a sister. Um, is older than me Yep. and, um, four years older than me. So old enough, you know, to, for her to have an impact in my life too. Yep. Um, she is the sweetest, most kind person. I don't, I mean, she, she is just genuinely a sweet person. Yeah. Um, I was always kind of the loud, like performer of the family. And my sister was always the meek and mild sweet Uh Child, and I think I I learned a lot from her. Of just, you know, um, she she never had a mean word to say about anybody. She was never mean to anybody. She was just always very sweet to everybody that came across her.
0: And what what impact do you think she had on your on your career?
1: I think my sister always believed in me a little bit more than maybe I believed in myself. Uh So whereas my mom, you know, may have kind of put me in my place with you know my sister was always like look you can do it um you know she was always the one saying you know I'm proud of you and you can you can do this or you would be great at that yeah. you know she's always the encourager and the person that kind of was was kind of pushing me along my way um, and she always she never wanted she always kind of let me have my I was a spotlight type of person when I was little and she always let me have it you know she she wasn't jealous or or like you know, trying to get her share of, of whatever it was that I was diving into at the moment. Um, she was always just loving and supportive, and, and I think having her support and having her encouragement along the way, you know really did kind of encourage me to keep going for it every step of the way.
0: Walk us back a little bit, if you don't mind. When you are thinking that you want to be a lawyer, first of all, what triggered that? And second of all, how, you know, how committed were you to that idea?
1: Yeah, I have no idea what triggered it. Probably I was very argumentative and just opinionated and um, I would debate someone on, you know, someone would say the sky is blue. I would debate them on why Uh the sky is not actually blue in that moment. And so I think that just kind of, you know, people would say to me, you should be a lawyer, you know, in the middle of me arguing something. So that's probably where I got that idea from. Um, you know, I don't know that obviously I wasn't serious enough to actually pursue it. Yep. Um, you know, so I, I think that seriousness dwindled pretty quickly, uh, you know, once my mom pointed out how many years of school I would have to have, All right. um, but you know, looking back later and I think i just let the dream die. Like I let go of it and I, I never really thought about it again. And I've thought about it more recently, you know, yeah. in working with these athletes and in kind of going through what I've gone through over the past year. I have thought about it, you know, that why, why did I not pursue that? And, and, um, you know, why didn't I believe in myself enough to kind of pursue that dream? Um, you know, and and I don't know, I wasn't a very confident student. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I struggled in school and I had to work hard. And, um, I think that I just, I, I didn't have the confidence in myself that I I that I could go to law school and yeah. actually pass and and um, do what needed to be done to be an attorney. So, you know, I think there was a little bit of self-esteem issues and, and you know, just not having the confidence in myself that I could do it.
0: And so then you go to school and you immediately jump into sports communications.
1: I did not. I was undecided. Yep. Um, my freshman and, and sophomore year, I was undecided major taking my core classes and some electives here in the year. And then um, when at the point that you kind of have to declare a major, I was like, all right, I guess I need to figure out what I'm going to do. Right. And honestly, I was always interested in sports. I wasn't an athlete, but I was always a fan and interested in sports. So I kind of was looking in that area. But I honestly remember flipping through the catalog of my this college that I went to and literally looking at what major required the least amount of math. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, that there—that is why I chose that major. Was at the time it was the major that required the least amount of math. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you graduate with sports communications. What happens next?
1: I graduated with sports communication degree, undergrad. I was one of the only females in the major. I sat in the classroom of of guys of of athletes every day. Yep. At that time, females were not allowed in the locker room. And this was before you know Aaron Andrews and Tracy Wolfson and all the famous um, sports reporter. So we were not allowed in the locker rooms at this time. So there were very few females in that profession. And I got out and um, took an internship with a professional baseball team doing some media relations type stuff and just realized that this was not really what I wanted to do. It just wasn't really where my heart was at. And I didn't really like it. And um, so I went back to get my master's degree simply because I didn't have a job and I didn't I wasn't loving anything out there. And so I just by default, I was like, well, I guess I'll get my (laughs) guess I'll get my master's. So I went back to get my master's degree. And that's when I fell into athletic academics. Um, And that's when I really the classes that I was taking as a graduate student really interested me. I mean, those, that was when I really started loving education and really started loving learning because I was in classes that interested me. right? And then I really, um, I was learning stuff and stuff that I wanted to learn rather yeah. than, you know, sitting in a class that had no interest to in me at
0: all. Can you remember what it felt like when you were taking these courses at, or, or when you realized that sports communications um, was just not the thing for you?
1: You know, I, I enjoyed the classes in, yep. in undergrad, the classes that went towards my major. I did not enjoy, you know, the histories and the biologies and the things that I knew I had no interest in. I enjoyed my sports communication classes, but I remember getting out and going to work and just thinking, okay, the, there's no way. Like, this, yeah. <laughs> there's no way I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of a deflation, I mean, of a complete disappointment, because when you graduate from college, you know, you have that moment where it's like, oh, I I did it, you know, I graduated from college right. and I go be an adult and a big girl now and go get this great job. And then you get out and that slap of reality hits you where you're not making any money and every bit of it that you're making is paying bill adult things, right. you know, and um, And then you're at work and you're not loving it, you know. And and it it was that moment of like, okay, this is not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. Um, And you kind of are lost and you don't know what to do. And I think a lot of college students think that they have to have it all figured out. You know, their freshman, sophomore year, even when they graduate their senior year, if they don't have it all figured out, then they feel like they're a failure. And honestly, I think... That's when it all starts. Right. <laughs> you know, that moment that you do feel like I don't have it figured out or I'm a failure, I think that's when you should hit the start button. Yeah. Um, because that's probably when you're about to figure it out.
0: And that's, that's a really painful point for a lot of people, right? Yes. What, what's, what's your biggest piece of advice for folks to traverse that time period?
1: I just think you have to hold on, you know, and you have to keep going. Um, I have been, you know, lately with all uh, college students are reaching out to me left and right and I just keep telling them, you know, use that time that you're in college to just dive into different things. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, volunteer where if you think you're interested in athletics then volunteer in the athletic department and let and, and just do whatever they ask you to do. I mean, dive into different areas within athletics and see which ones kind of interest you more than others. Yep. You know, if you're interested in biology, I mean, dive in to go work at a doctor's office for a little while and see if that's kind of. But I think we we try to make people make a decision and like have it all figured out at 21 and then when they don't or, or they're, they dive in and then they hate it, you
0: know, Right.
1: we, we label them or we scold them. And honestly, you know, I just think we might need to just back off and let people, let people kind of navigate and figure that out on your own. And if you, if you dive into something and, and it doesn't work, then okay, it's okay. You know, you know, that's not what you want to do. Right. So dive into something else. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually, if you dive in enough, you're going to figure it out.
0: So you start taking these classes that you actually really do enjoy. What What is the difference in feeling? How would you express that to people?
1: Oh, the difference in everything. I mean, the yep. difference in feeling and sitting in a class and when the teacher asks a question, um, you know, wanting, wanting to answer it or... When the teacher says, you know, well, today we're just going to have an open discussion. You know, when you're sitting in a class you don't want to be in, those days you're like, great. You know, Right. because <laughs> I don't have anything to discuss. But on the days when you're when you're when you're finally find your niche, I remember sitting in class and when the teacher would say, you know, everybody, let's make a big circle. We're just going to openly discuss today. I would love it because yeah. I wanted to talk about what I had read last night or what, you know, what we were studying I also had a 4.0 in grad school, which I was not a 4.0 student at all. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I made a 21 on my ACT. I struggled through every math class I ever took, um, struggled through a lot of classes that I took because I just wasn't interested. And all of a sudden I got in grad school and I, you know, was a great student and was writing great papers and, and really involved and engaged. But But it was because it was, it was classes that I wanted to be in. Yeah, um, I felt smart, you know, yeah. for the first time probably in my life. Um, it, it was a great feeling. I loved going to class. I loved my teachers. I'm still very, very close with a lot of my professors that I had in grad school. Um, one of them teaches at Ohio University now, and I just the other day skyped his classes, his uh-huh. grad graduate school classes. Awesome. You know, and what a great feeling to know that he you know, remembers me and respects me enough to have me speak to his classes. But I think I was a totally different student in grad school because I was interested.
0: So once you graduate, what happens?
1: I graduated with my master's. What did happen? (laughs) Gosh, (laughs) (laughs) I graduated with my master's degree. um, And immediately, actually, I think it was immediately Mississippi State. I was at school at Mississippi State in the graduate program. And I had a graduate assistantship with um, with the athletic academic office. And once I got my master's, they hired me full time. Yep. So I, I was in that office that I had been a graduate assistant in and was working full time as an academic counselor there and loving
0: it. When you're in this job now that you've studied for and that you're on path to loving, how does the job feel in comparison to what you thought it would be?
1: It felt great. Now, I mean, obviously, I think obviously as a 20 something year old, getting your first kind of real job um first or second real job you know you you think everything's going to be perfect and if it's not then something is terribly wrong right and i think that's again a warped um view of the world
0: yeah
1: there are going to be problems everywhere um and a lot of times it's the same problems everywhere it's you it's you growing and maturing and figuring out a solution to those or how to work around them or how to just deal with them. Um and so I think obviously that hit me in the face. Yeah. You know that there were meetings that I didn't go to as a graduate assistant that now I was in as a full-time employee and you kind of get the reality dose of what they don't tell you, you know. <laughs> when, yeah. you're, when you're a student worker and it's like whoa. Um plus there's obviously more pressure. When you're a full-time employee, right. um, you know, and that that hit me like a ton of bricks. And there, I got promoted at that job fairly quickly, and I was scared to death. Yeah, um, you know, honestly, like when I when I got hired, I was scared to death. Yep. <laughs> and then I got promoted, and I remember thinking, like, this, my boss is crazy. Like, why would he promote me to this? Uh-huh. But he saw something in me that, uh, you know, again, I wasn't confident enough to see in myself. And he told me that, you know, he told me that basically, like, I don't know why you're doubting yourself because you definitely can do this.
0: Yeah. What is it that he saw?
1: I think just drivenness. I mean, I was not going to be a failure, you know, I wasn't going to fail at something. And so I was driven to make it work, um, to figure it out. I also think I'm I'm very organized. Um... And I'm, um, I mean, organized to a T, and kind of have a lot of structure and right. dis- self-discipline, I guess. And I think he saw that that I didn't really need, I didn't need micromanaging, I didn't need someone telling me what to do. Like I was gonna find it out myself, yep. what needed to be done, and and be have a system in place. I was I was gonna plan it out. I was gonna have a system in place. And in that position, you know, you really needed that. I also think that I've been fortunate enough, pretty much everywhere I've worked, that I've gotten along with the people around me. And I had four um, graduate assistants that worked under me at the time, and I think he saw my ability to motivate the people that worked under me and and, um, motivate the student athletes around me and he saw that and he, you know, when I got the promotion he bumped me up to a position where I was kind of in a bigger role of motivating people that were working for us and then athletes as well.
0: Yep. Um, Let me ask you this question. On a scale of zero to ten where zero is a total non-issue and ten is a big dark gloomy shadow. How large a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date?
1: I would say like a one or a two. (laughs) I'm just not motivated by money. I never really have been. And I think that comes, again, from my parents. Um, I didn't even realize. We lived such a simple life growing up. We didn't have cable and I know people's first reaction will be like, well, that's because she lives in Mississippi. <laughs> <But that's, laughs> we do have cable right. here. And we And we lived in a, you know, a populated area. Um, so it wasn't that we didn't have cable because we didn't have access to it or we couldn't afford it. We didn't have cable because my dad just simply thought it's not necessary. Like, yep. you should not sit in front of a TV all day. And I honestly, it wasn't until I was older probably in college, that I really realized that a psychologist is a pretty <laughs> lucrative job. You know, and my dad was a psychologist and it hit me, like, we had money, but <laughs> I don't know <laughs> where it was. Right. Um, and I just think my parents, that simple life that we lived, it, money has never motivated me. Um, I was not, ne- you know, obviously you wanna be rewarded for your work, yep. and I think Finding the the money aspect of it for me, that's where it's come in. Like I do nope. want to be rewarded for hard work or a job well done, and a lot of times in this day and age, the only reward really is money. And so, you know, that it has motivated me because of that. Um, and then obviously, late within the past four years, because I'm a single mom, it's motivating me more just because, you know, financially everything falls on me and I want to provide for my child.
0: Brittany, thinking back, looking back at your career and to date and looking back at your friends and family and colleagues throughout the years, has there been a consistent thread in the type of advice or counsel that they have sought from you?
1: Yeah, I think that... um... You know, my friends always say that I'm the strong one, you know, like I'm the one that can make a decision and go with it. And, I, you know, and, and once I make a decision, I'm very decisive. I'll think it through. I'm not I'm not a fly by the seat of your pants type of person. So I'll think my decision through. But once I make it, I mean, that's it. I don't look back. I don't question myself. I go with it. And, you know, my friends have always said said that I'm kind of the decisive one and the strong one. Yep. I've always been very independent. Um I've never wanted to depend on anyone for anything. I've always kind of wanted to clear my own path and make my own way. And so I think that's the advice that, you know, my friends and family always come to me for yeah. is, well, you know, I'm struggling with this. How do I just make the decision and go with it? Um, you know, and and honestly, sometimes I think that's, it's a quality trait. Sometimes I think that you're either kind of born with it or you're not, or yeah. if you're not born with it, I think it takes a lot of work to become that type of person. Um, you know, but I, that that probably is where my family and friends have kind of leaned on me the most.
0: Yeah. And what do you make of that? Where Where does that come from?
1: You know, I think I grew up. Um my mom was very independent even though she and my dad you know were married my whole life she, she and she depended on him in some ways but she was very independent she had a career of her own um i remember my mom going back to school as an adult with children and um, she went back to school to get a specialist degree and i can remember her sitting at the kitchen table late at night studying and and you know, that, that is a choice. I mean, when you're, when you're a mother of two kids and you already have a career going to go back to school and get a a degree on top of a master's, I mean, that, that takes some discipline and some effort, you know, and and I I recognize that at a young age, that she was driven and, and very um, motivated, self-motivated. She was always independent. And, you know, I think I just gained some of that some of her her strong will and independence. Yep. Um, now the decision making, I, I you know that probably came from my dad. My dad is he thinks things through, but like once he's, once he's in, he's in. I mean, you know, you can't talk him out of anything. I mean, once he's decided, he's decided. So I think a lot of that came from from my father.
0: A few more questions for you before we wrap up. What's been the biggest aggravation of your professional journey to date?
1: The biggest aggravation for me lately <laughs> is the underpreparedness. I think that the um to to say it, I'm trying to say it politically correctly, I guess. Just the educ the public education system in this country right now. Yeah. And the the underpreparedness that students are yeah. for not only college but life. Yeah. Um. It's very shocking to me and sad, I think we're doing a huge disservice to young people in this country. Um, we're just not to me, we're just not putting the bill of educating them the way that we should be.
0: And how does that translate into a particular career aggravation for you? like what what does that mean for your job?
1: For me, it's aggravating because you get students, especially in math, you get students who, are, are here in college and there's a standard that they have to meet, but they didn't meet the standard that they should have met in sixth grade. Yeah. So how can I expect them to meet college standard when someone failed them seven years ago? Yeah. and, And a lot of times it's not their fault. You know, they went to a school that was underfunded or, um, that, that wasn't hiring, qualified teachers, or they had a teacher that just flat out didn't care, and they're not prepared for Um, college, but yet they're here. And, you know, it always frustrates me when other people that work in education, especially higher education, have the attitude of, well, they shouldn't be here, you know, or, well, college isn't for everyone. Okay, well, (laughs) to me, that's our first problem, that that's our attitude. Right. You know, and, and why can't it be for everyone, or why... Okay, well, maybe they shouldn't be here, but they're here. Yep. So how are we going to service them while they're here?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, you know, and it's frustrating to sit on this end and I and get to know these kids and to see where they came from and to see the, everything that they've overcome to be here, and then have other administrators, you know, have a have a negative attitude or think that they don't deserve the same education as someone else deserves. Yep, that's frustrating.
0: Um, are there any career decisions today, looking back, that you would choose to undo or somehow redo?
1: You know, honestly, I love I love it here. Yep. Um, I love East Mississippi. I love the junior college athletes that I work with. However, <laughs> I think I eight years is maybe too long to have been at the at one place uh-huh. um for me um i you know i like to i'm a problem solver i like to be challenged and i think when you're when you're at an institution as long as i've been here it's kind of a well-oiled machine at this point point. and so i'm starting to lose my mojo you uh-huh. know i'm starting to kind of lose my own motivation and my own sense of like okay what else is there for me to do you know yeah. um and so i think i've maybe been here longer than I should have. In saying that, though, um, I've talked to a lot of students lately where I've said, you know, sometimes it's the 10,000th pencil that you pick up. That's kind of the magic pencil. And you may you may have, you know, thought that something should have happened in your life sooner or maybe you had an opportunity and it didn't pan out. And, you know, you keep kind of dredging along thinking, why am I still in this same situation? And I've had those moments. I mean, I've interviewed for jobs and not gotten them or some, you know, something hasn't worked out for me. And I yeah. kind of like, why am I still here? And I think had I gotten an opportunity prior, had I left years ago, before I started losing my mojo, so to speak, none of this would have happened to me. Yeah. You know, last chance you wouldn't have happened. Netflix wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have the impact that I'm having on a lot of people right now so I think sometimes you just kind of kind of go with go with the plan and then if you know if things aren't panning out rather than giving up or quitting or questioning everything just keep just keep going you know just keep doing what you're doing and keep trying to get better and eventually you'll figure out why and I think that's it for me like now I know why I'm still here you know but it, it gets a little tougher to motivate myself um being in the same place
0: that said, where do you see your career unfolding in the next three, five, ten years?
1: Gosh, I have no idea. Like, I, there are so many possibilities right now um, with all of this and then season two of the show coming out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly don't know that I'll be here much longer. Um, yeah. You know, but I see myself... If, if I'm still working with college athletes or athletes, I see myself m- moving a little bit away of, from the academic side of it and moving more into behavioral specialist, um, life coaching, mentoring, yeah. maybe with college athletes, maybe with NFL, NBA rookies. Um, you know, that's really kind of where my passion's at, and there's a huge need for that, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, I don't think you can turn on a game nowadays where somebody – isn't suspended for something or being fined something. And, and to me that shows that there's a real lack of effort, (laughs) you know, in in guiding these athletes off the field. Um, we're putting all of our resources in, into winning games and we're not putting any into guiding these young people in, in everyday life decisions. And, um, that's where I would really love to kind of um, get involved is just helping these guys off their playing field?
0: Um, what would you say has been the highlight of your career?
1: The highlight of my career has, it, it is honestly the success stories of of these these guys that I've worked with here. Yeah. um, you know, watching a Ronald Ollie, um, not even not even really him going on to play football somewhere else, but him develop as a person. Um, during the time that he was here. Um, the six guys that I have in the NFL, just watching them come in and, and and their whole life be shaped by really and honestly what they did here. I mean, it yeah. started their path to where they are now. And um, other players that I have that have gone on to graduate and got several former football players that are now teachers um, in the high school setting. And, and you know, to see them... Make that transformation has been a really rewarding thing for me.
0: You didn't say last chance, you?
1: No, and, and I mean, it, this has been great. Last yeah. chance, you? has been fantastic. Look, I, I've said it a million times. You don't, you don't decide to be in public education in Mississippi and think that you're ever going to be famous or rich. Like that's just not (laughs) happening. So the fact that, you know, that any of this has happened to me, I'm truly, truly grateful for. Yep. But you, you know, it certainly wasn't what I was seeking. Um, So it's an added bonus, but is it like, you know, the highlight of my whole career, I don't, you know, probably not. I hope not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Two last questions. So when you see your students in the NFL, how would you describe that feeling?
1: You know, it's an amazing, it is an amazing feeling. Um, it, but it, it's an amazing feeling as long as they are handling it right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an amazing feeling if it's just all coming off of a their football ability. Yeah. Um, Fortunately for me, the guys that that I do have in the NFL did handle it right. Um, They graduated from their university. Um, I have a player, Zadarius Smith, who plays for the Baltimore Ravens now. He's number 90 on their D-line, and he graduated here a semester early and went to the University of Kentucky, was the face of Kentucky football for the two years that he was there. Graduated from Kentucky early and so he was able to leave Kentucky the December after his senior season ended and then go work out for the combines. He was drafted in the 4th round of the NFL draft starting for the Ravens, but more importantly than that, he gives back. Yeah. He, you know, I mean, he understands that he didn't get there alone and he gives back and and he's a good he's just a good guy and his his fame or his fortune and it hasn't changed who he is. Yeah. Um, Another player, Quentin Dial, who plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Actually, this Christmas paid for me an all expense paid trip to come watch him play. And that was the first time I ever saw one of my players play live. Yeah. And I mean, it was an overwhelming experience to see him um, out there and to knowing everything that he went through. But he's, he's a good man and he, he has his own foundation that he founded um, and called Q kids where he gives back to kids that were like him. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's not that they're playing in the NFL necessarily. It's that they're doing something with the fame and money and notoriety that comes with playing in the NFL. That makes me proud.
0: Awesome. And then last question for you here, knowing what you know today, how would you advise your younger self?
1: Yeah, I would would have a long talk with my younger (laughs) self. (laughs) I think I would tell my younger self, first of all, you know, I got caught up in as as a female, you know, in the South, especially you get caught up with with boys and and making sure that you're, you know, married by the time that everyone thinks you should be married and having that family in the South. You know, that's a huge pressure. for for females is to do it like mama did it you know and and have all that southern stuff pan out for you and i would have told myself don't worry about any of that (laughs) you know like just let all that go and who cares you know if you're married or not by 23 or whatever um i wouldn't have been worried about that at all and i would have been more interested in my education honestly um even the classes that maybe didn't interest me, I would have just taken them more seriously because I do think that there's just something to be learned even in those situations and classes. Um, and I just, you know, I think a lot of times I didn't really give my best effort. And I kind of would have liked to have seen, you know, what I would have done with the best effort. Yeah. Um, I also would have told myself to go for it more often. You know, I think I held back and I just wasn't confident in my abilities and I maybe didn't go for things the way that I should have. And I think I would have just, I would have kind of given myself the push and said, Girl, go for it. You know, what do you have to lose as a 20 year old? Nothing really.
0: Love it. Brittany Wagner, thank you so much. Really fantastic conversation and I appreciate you being so forthcoming about your journey.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It was great.
0: Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at our ourauthenticcareers.com.